Morning, everybody. I am Ryan Stack. I'm one of the shepherds here at MVF. We'd like to welcome you all. As you can see from our video and from the decorations here, this upcoming week is uh, VBS here. And our volunteers have worked really hard to put up these decorations and make the church look awesome. So we kindly ask if you could just let the decorations be. I'm going to do my best, even though I'm a bull in a china shop, but that's my goal. So we thank you all for coming out. And please do pray for VBS this week, for the leaders, the kids, the volunteers. And we can still use a few more volunteers. So if you're interested, when service is done, please head to the back and talk with Michelle Burchart. She'll have that information for you. It starts this Tuesday at 9 a.m. and goes through Friday. Also, at the end of the second service, we ask if we have any volunteers to help stack the chairs to clear them out of the sanctuary to get ready for VBS. We would really appreciate your help. Uh, with that, I'd like to welcome up our special guest speaker today. That is Dana Holman. Please help me welcome Dana. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's really exciting to, to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Mountain View, and, and uh, this looks so cool. I'm so excited for VBS this week and uh, everything that's going on here. Um, my wife and I live in Colorado, Durango, Colorado, but we're in the process of moving up here into Heber. So I've been to Mountain View many times, played on the worship team uh, one week and everything. So it uh, just feels like home and gotten to know so many fantastic people here. It's been really, really exciting, and uh, top it all off with, with Pastor Shane. I'm just so amazed at him, how blessed we are to have him as pastor here. He's so fantastic. I don't know if you, sometimes you just like, oh, he's just a, he's just a pastor. He's a great pastor, okay? He really is. When I grow up, I want to be just like him. That's my, that's my goal right there. Uh, I'm going to ask Amy to come up because last week we had a very exciting uh, event here at Mountain View, and that was Be the Church. How many of you got involved in that last week? To, to be the yeah, fantastic! So proud of you guys for doing that because what a great opportunity to show the world this is. We're not just about getting in a little room somewhere and, and having our little club time. We're about loving our community and making a difference. And so there were a lot of projects that were going on last week. I know uh, some people were at the National Ability Center. How many were out there? Okay, awesome. And uh, cleaning some railings and, and stuff out there. Uh, the Temp Theater. Anybody that was in the service at the Temp Theater? Okay, somebody went out there because they did some good stuff. Cleaning, organizing. Community Action Center. How many of you went at the Community Action Center? Okay, they're all at the family camp. Okay. Uh, trailer Park. I know some stuff was going out there. Yard work for a single mom and the Children's Justice Center, and Amy, that's where you were. You were at the Children's Justice Center. So that, that was, a, I know, pretty exciting. A lot of people, how many were out there with Amy at the Children's Justice Just you? You're the only one there? <laughs> okay, well, it's fantastic. Uh, what are some reasons that you, uh, you found this experience to be rewarding, some of the things you were doing out there? Um, so we went out to the Children's Justice Center, um, and I, I signed my kids and I up because um, I, I love this church, and I just thought it was a really um, good way for us to be of service in our community. Um, and we went out and helped them um, organize their basement. They have hundreds of blankets and stuffed animals that are donated to them. Um, for the kids, when they come through, um, they're able to, you know, it's a safe place for them. Um, to come, and so they're able to choose a blanket and a stuffed animal, um, one for them and their siblings as they're um, going through their situations. And so we were able to just um, organize that and and, um, and get that ready for them. So and it was just a good opportunity for, for my kids and I and to, um, like I said last time, uh, realize how blessed we are. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate that. Yeah, give her a hand. <laughs> Got to encourage, because it's really scary to come up here and talk. I want you to know that. Uh, so appreciate her, her doing that and uh, talking with us a little bit. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. We're going to get into 1 Samuel 17 in, in a few minutes. And you can turn over there right now if you want to get a, get a head start. But uh, when I was 12 years old, my family moved from Southern California to Southern Nevada. My dad was a pastor, so he was taking a new church in a little town called Boulder City, Nevada. And so we were heading across the desert, and uh, we had a family of six. Got another one a little bit later on, but family of six at that point, and we were all driving in a Corvair. Does anyone know what a Corvair is? Okay. <laughs> it's a really small car. It's about half the size of a Mini Cooper. And you just put, try to put six people in that car. It was absolutely amazing. And all the kids, like, don't touch me, stay on your side, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. It was hot because we were going across the desert. So we traveled at night, late at night. We ended up getting into town about 12.30 in the morning, uh, the 5th of July, and we got there, and we, we didn't have enough money to stay in a motel or anything, so we were going to stay in the parsonage, even though it was empty. We were still waiting for our furniture to get there the next day, um, but my dad had forgot to communicate, I guess. I don't know what the details were there, but the house was locked. That's the bottom line. The house was locked, and so it's 12.30, and it's like... Are we all going to sleep in the little Corvair all night? This is crazy. We can't even sit hidden here. So uh, my dad started walking around, and he found a window that wasn't latched tightly. So he opened that, and then he said, okay, Dana, you're up. So he boosted me in, into the window, and uh, I was in this house that was very, very dark, no flashlight, and I have to find the light switch. And so as I was standing in there for a moment, all was quiet, and but then I heard little rustlings, little noises that didn't sound quite right to me. And so I began to walk towards the door where I knew there would be a light switch, and I crunched a couple of things, and finally found the light switch and turned on, and there was these big black roach-like bugs, huge, gigantic, giant. They were giants. They were all around, and it was very terrifying. I'd never seen anything like that in my life, and uh, so... That was, that was kind of scary, so the rest of the family comes in. They see the bugs. They go back out to the car. They're not going to sleep in there at all, that's for sure. So my dad and I said, we'll, we'll sleep in here. So we laid down on the floor and slept right there and had to visit or two or three from some of those bugs during the night, just kind of checking us out and calling on us, and that was pretty exciting. Uh, but that, you just, you just kind of get used to that. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, three years later, uh, when I was 15, it was a very small house, two-bedroom house, and I had uh, three sisters at that, at that point, only boy. So I never had my own room growing up. I always slept on the couch out in the living room. But uh, I discovered there was a shed out in the backyard that it was kind of all beat up and everything. But I, I thought, I could make this, I could turn this into a bedroom and have my very own bedroom. So I did that, kind of pushed all the junk over to one side and the Black Widows and all that kind of stuff. And then I set up a bed, and, and that was my own little bedroom. And uh, I'd sleep out there. My parents were okay with it. And, and, but I'd feel at night, I'd feel those bugs. They would crawl on me in the middle of the night. It was just, it was just terrible. But there's no sense get screaming about it because it wasn't going to do any good. So you just kind of tolerated it. And you just did your best to go to sleep and, and not pay any attention to it. 
I tell you that story because as we're moving into 1 Samuel 17, the deal is that there are some times in our life where things creep into our life that shouldn't be there. And they're, they're terrifying, they're intimidating, but sometimes as followers of Jesus, we just kind of accommodate that. We kind of feel like that's just the way that it is. I'll just have to get used to that because that's what happens sometimes. You have these things and we end up tolerating something that Jesus never intended for us to tolerate in our life. Jesus did not come to this planet and do what he did so that we could live our life intimidated by the giants that we face in our life. That's a pretty incredible truth right there. He didn't do what he did so that we could be intimidated and taunted by things and that we would just accept that there are giants that are going to rule over us in our life. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. And so you've got a giant living in your life. If you've come to a place where you're tolerating the intolerable, and if you have one, you already know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I got that thing going on. I know what you're talking about. I'm here to tell you that your giant is not bigger than Jesus. Somebody ought to get excited about that because that's pretty good news. Your giant, I know you're like, oh, no, he's just big. Your giant is not bigger than Jesus. That's exciting news, and I believe that today through the power of Jesus, we're going to see some miracles as we take down Goliath, the giant, in our own lives. Now, obviously, the background for what we're talking about uh, today is the story of David and Goliath, and if, if you've never been to church in your life, you probably still know this story. Uh, if you were in Sunday school, you probably heard the story, and you, you kind of relate a little bit to it. You've heard it many times because it's a great story for kids, because David was kind of like a kid, and if you're uh, a youth, you've probably heard it because David actually was in that age category right there. Uh, but what's going on here for God's people, the Israelites, they're being harassed and intimidated and, and uh, attacked repeatedly by a group called the Philistines. And so the Israelites get all their guys together, the Philistines get all their guys together, and they're going to have a war. That's what's going to happen here. So they're all set to have a big war. The Philistines, they rejected God. Uh, they, they were very unrighteous people, uh, very sick people, very deviant, and it just kind of represents all of ungodliness right there. And then you've got the Israelites who are the people that have been chosen by God that he's going to work through. He's going to display his greatness to the world through all of this. So you've got, just like today, you've got this conflict between righteousness and unrighteousness, between darkness and between light. And during this Old, time, Old Testament time of history, there's a lot of conflicts that you read about uh, going on between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so often it seems like the Philistines had the upper hand in all this. But the account of this battle plays out for us in 1 Samuel 17. If you've found that passage this morning, let's look at it. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Sokah and Azekah, and Saul, that's the king of the Israelites, and all the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites occupied the other, another. 
with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. I don't know how you do with the uh, interpretation there. How many shekels equals a pound? You know, okay, I don't know. It it, it works out to 125 pounds. That's how much his armor weighs, 125 pounds. This is a huge guy. He's got all this armor. Let's keep going. He's got uh, on his legs bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds right there. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Sounds like a scene out of the movie Troy or something, doesn't it? Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were, say this with me, dismayed and terrified. Dismayed and terrified. It was scary. You got the valley, you've got the two mountains. The Israelite army, the Philistine army, they come down, they're ready for battle, they're looking at each other's eyes, okay, they're ready to go at it, but then you've got this Goliath who comes out there, he's a champion, he's a fighter, man, he would do so well in UFC, wouldn't he? Man, okay, He he was just an ugly monster, okay? Bad breath, had it all going for him, worked out at the gym all the time. Nobody wanted to mess with him. Uh, I was watching a, a football game a while back, and the announcers were talking about big guys, and they were talking about this one huge player on the field whose hands were so big, and they showed him on the screen, and they were they were scary. They were so big, and, and they showed him holding a football, and, and it's, it's fascinating because the football actually looks small in the guy's hands. That's how, that's how big he was. So uh, th- this is... This is intimidating, and uh, Goliath's intimidating in every single way. He had all the latest, greatest high-tech armor going on. He'd come out every morning. He'd say, hey, there's no need for us to have this big war and all these people, other people to get hurt. Just send one guy out here. I'll take on anybody. Only one guy has to die today. If your guy beats me, then we become your servants. If I beat him, you become our servants. And then he carries it further. He mocks God. And he taunts the Israelites. He makes fun of God, and he's so big, and he's so mean, and he's so intimidating that there's not one person in the whole Israelite army who will even say, I'll take a chance on this. They all knew it was no use. And he did this every morning, every evening, mocking God and the Israelites for 40 days straight. Isn't this sad? Because you think about who he's dealing with here, the Israelite people. Think about the Israelite people with me for a second because God has called these people. He's put them together to show his power in them and through them. And he's done miracles. He brought them out of Egypt. That was a pretty amazing thing. Just all the plagues that took place and bringing them out and and then crossing the Red Sea and drowning the Egyptian army. And it's like, man, miracle after miracle after miracle. Water from the rock, manna from heaven. 
going to Mount Sinai and having God reveal himself there with all the display of his power and everything. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and then he'd promised to go with them and to lead the way and to uh, fight all the battles for them that needed to be done, and his presence is with them. They got a cloud by day, a fire by night, victory in all the battles that they were facing. They march around Jericho, the walls fell down. All this stuff has gone on. These are the Israelites. God is with them. And now here they are facing Philistines, and one man stands out there and says, I'm the greatest. And they're like, okay. We're not messing with you. We're afraid of you. And this is God's people who've experienced God's power and God's deliverance, and they're completely on the sidelines, not walking in what he has for them because they are intimidated by the giant. And that's what happens to us sometimes. God has done great things for us in our life. He's delivered us. He's He's done miraculous things. We've seen those. We've experienced them. But we run across things in our life sometimes that seem so gigantic and so intimidating and so overwhelming that we just get paralyzed and we say, I just don't think I can move forward. So we find ourselves in the same place and dismayed and terrified. They just didn't get it. They didn't realize that God was so powerful. And if they would just trust him and follow him and lean into him, that he would take care of them, that he would get them through, and they would have access to his power in their life. So this one guy has basically shut down the whole people of God until David shows up, and then things change. He's not old enough to be part of the army. He's uh, just a kid. His father sends him with a care package to take to his older brothers who are soldiers. That's how their supply lines worked at that time. David gets there, but here comes Goliath out. He's been doing this for 40 days, and he does his routine again. He taunts them. He mocks God. And David is saying, what in the world? Who is this joker? Why isn't someone doing something and shutting up that guy? And everyone said, well, he's big and he's mean. He's intimidating. He's a giant. And we're not going to fight him. We're scared. And David said, I'll fight him. And they laughed. What? You? You're, you're nothing. You're a kid. You can't do anything. But David had been in God's presence. I'm going to tell you something. When you've been in God's presence, it changes how you look at things. That's why it's so important to be in his word, Right? To have that time with God on a regular basis, in prayer, in his word, in worship, as you begin to focus on him and not your situations and not your problems, but on the one who sits on the throne, it changes perspective. David did that. It wasn't just sometimes, that's, that's the way he lived. He wrote a good chunk of the Psalms. He knew what worship was all about. And he'd experienced God's power in his life because he talks about a couple of situations that he had, bear and a lion, that God had got him through and done this miraculous thing. And he remembers that. He says, you know, I've had some hardships and I've had some difficulties and I've had some challenges and God showed up in a big way. And so he's working with this scalable thought process here. Huge term in the business world. We want everything to be scalable. For David, this was scalable, lion and bear and God's deliverance, and it would transfer to this situation and this giant that God would get him through this. 
And we need to remember that because we've all had times we've experienced God doing good things in our life, but too often we forget about them, don't we? We get in the next situation, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm doomed. Everything's, everything's falling apart here. It's over for me. And we forget all the things that God has done, and we just need to remember, he was with me here, he was with me here, he was with me here, he got me through this, he got me through that, and I know that he's going to get me through this situation because he's God. He's God. And that's what we need to remember and put into practice in our life. So King Saul, you know the story, gives him a shot. Uh, tells him you need to wear some armor. They put on the, all, all the armor on David. He said, Whoa, what is this stuff, man? I can't even move. I'm way too small for all this stuff. It's way too heavy, so they take it all off. All I need, I'll go find some rocks in the brook here and got my slingshot, and, and uh, he goes, you know the, how the story goes down here. But I want to just ask you this morning, why do you think this story is such a major backdrop for the Christian faith? Is it so that we'll just have a great story to tell in Sunday school? Or is it possible that God wants us to know that it's possible for the nine-foot giants in our life that taunt us and intimidate us day after day after day after day after day and they bring dismay and fear to us, it's possible that they can go down. And now here's the problem for us. When we get into this situation where we're intimidated and we're living in fear, in fact, for some of you, you'd probably say, you know what, if I just gave a name to the giant that's in my life, I would probably say it is fear. Other of you, others of you would have other things that you'd identify, say, you know what, this is, this is what the giant is in my life. But the thing is, all of them bring fear to us and intimidation. And here's the thing about fear. It undermines our confidence in the greatness and the goodness of God, doesn't it? And it steals our joy. And that's where we end up. By the way, if you've missed it, there are some other giants that are talked about in the Bible. You go into First Chronicles 20, it talks about several of them. One of them was a brother of Goliath. So he was, he was big too. Lots of others that are mentioned there. One guy I really like reading about it says he was huge. I'm thinking, and Goliath wasn't? Okay, but this guy was huge, and it said he had six fingers on this hand and six on this hand, and he had six toes and six toes over here, and then it even, just in case your math challenge, it says 24 in all. <laughs> okay, so I was really clear on this. This guy is a, a living, breathing, uh, oh, man. He's, just, he's a nightmare, okay, but it says and all these guys went down through the power of God and the, the mighty valiant men, David and his mighty valiant men there, they fell. That's the thing you got to get here. The giants, the huge things, the things that are obstacles, the things that you think are impossible, they can all fall at the power of God. There's this conflict, and we need to, that's the backdrop of this whole thing. There's conflict between the forces of darkness and God. We're, we're in this thing. You, you understand this. But none of these things are bigger than Jesus. Everything that you face in your life, okay? Everything. You're not supposed to be intimidated by that. You're not supposed to back down from that. God's plan for you is not that you accommodate the elephant in the room and just say, that's just the way that it is. There's, there's going to be these bugs. 
that are going to crawl on me. There's going to be giants in my life that are going to be there. I, I just have to get used to that. Some bondage that's in your life, some attitude that you can't shake, some character flaw that you can't seem to get over, some uh, circumstance that has its grip on you, some thought that your mind has uh, got its teeth sunk into you and you just can't seem to shake it. That is not God's plan for your life. And Jesus wants to assure you today that he is absolutely able to take down the giants in your life. It may look like some six-fingered, six-toed, foaming at the mouth, gigantic beast, but Jesus wants you to remember this, that he who wrote on the canvas these very stories so that you would be assured that the giants can be taken down through his power. But it all starts with this, believing that Jesus is bigger than your giants. I want to make three very important statements that are going to help us frame our approach to taking down these giants. Uh, I wish I had more uh, time to develop all this, maybe some other parts to it, but we'll, we'll kind of compress things here. I want to look through the frame of theology today. Theology, by the way, isn't just a bunch of head information. It's uh, an understanding of who God is and what he does and, and how he does it and why he does it. So before I go after that nine-foot giant, that thing in my life that's so intimidating, something that's been camped out for such a long time in my life, there's some things I want to understand. Now, it could be that you follow Jesus for a long time. You go to church all the time. You tithe. You serve. You know, you're, you're involved. You worship. But you still may have just one thing in your life, and you just start assuming, I think that thing's just always going to be there. You've got to remember these things that will help you. Here's number one. We are not David in the story of David and Goliath. We're not David. Oh, and that's going to of you. No, I want to be the David, pick up the rocks and do the whole thing and I hope I get the right ones. I hope my aim is right and, you know, and then kind of strut around a little bit, took down the giant. It was so good, you know. You are not David in the story of David and Goliath. Who is David in the story of David and Goliath? It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the one that wins the victory. He's the one that gets all the glory. It's not a man-centered approach. That's where we take it so many times. Here's what I need to do. But it's not that. Human thinking, by the way, cannot produce a supernatural effort. Human ingenuity can't work a miracle. Only God can do that. The beauty of this story is that it's the power of God that's on display here, not the ingenuity of David. In this story, we know that the father, David's father, Jesse, sent his son from Bethlehem to this conflict with supplies for the brothers. In the big story that we live in, it is the heavenly father who sends his son, Jesus, to Bethlehem to supply us with what we need for the conflicts that we face in our life. And just as David fought with the power of God, Jesus came in the power of God to win the victory for us. He stepped into our fight for us to win over the giants. Here's verse 46, chapter 17. David says, This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And Goliath is listening to this. He's like, Are you serious? Where's the military guys? Who are you? What are you, 12? <laughs> You're coming out here talking to me like that? And David says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. But David is answering that this isn't going to be a work of, of 
people. This is going to be a work of God. And you are not going to take your giant down by yourself. God isn't asking you to do that. He's not asking you to find a rock and start slinging. He's not asking you to do that at all. He's asking you to understand that Jesus has come for this purpose, to take down the giants in our life. You are not the deliverer. Jesus is. That's huge. That's theology, and it's huge. Here's the second thing. David's motivation was for the glory of God. His motivation was the glory of God. David is motivated by God's honor and his glory. He's not at risk here. He's just on a mission. He's on an errand. He could have just said, here's the stuff. It looks like, you know, you guys are involved. I'll see you later. I'm going back to where I was coming from. But he hears Goliath taunting God's people. And he's saying, hey, this is not right. This is not going to stand. God's glory is at issue here. Didn't have any obligations. He just loved God. And he cared about his glory. So God comes to do a a huge work in your life and in my life, but it's not just so that we can say, oh, it's so awesome what he did. He did did a good thing, and now I'm free, and now I just go on about my life like I want to. Uh Uh-uh. That's only half of what God is up to. He comes to bring deliverance to us and bring salvation to us and and free us from bondage. But it's not just so that we walk away saying, well, that's really cool. It's so that we give him praise and give him glory. All the glory goes to him. He's got the big picture and he's showing the world his glory and what he's up to. And he is glorified in this whole thing. That's the full story. Back to 1 Samuel 17, verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the... Are the kids in here? Okay. Uh, Make sure they hear all this stuff. I'm going to cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world... This is beautiful. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See what he's thinking about? He's not thinking about everyone's going to know that I'm a great giant killer. Mm -mm. The whole world is going to know about God. That's what he's concerned with. He goes on, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. In other words, everyone's going to know about God. It's for his glory. Here's the third point. Your giant is dead. Your giant is dead. This is theology again, and I know it's not going to make sense to some of you who go, I don't know about that. He was just talking to me this morning, okay? So I don't think that he's really dead. We, we, you know, function in the the world of time and space. So it's, it's like, but this is a theological truth that is more powerful than those kinds of things, because Jesus rendered Satan powerless through his death, burial, and his resurrection, and he never has to do that again. That's a once-for-all thing that stands. It's not like you have a giant, you go, oh, dear God, I have a giant in my life, and he says, well, here, let me run down and just, you know, die on the cross again for you, and, and then get raised back to life. We'll get you fixed up. No, he did that one time. He never has to do that again. The victory has already been won. It's already established. It is finished. Okay? That's the theological part of that. But you know, even though your giant is dead, it can be deadly. 
if you were to kill a rattlesnake and cut it in half and leave its skeleton out in the yard just sitting there, you could, you could theoretically actually walk up and step on it two months later and be poisoned because the venom is spring-loaded into its jaws and so it could still get you, even though it's dead. And the thing about sin, even though the victory has been won, if you step into it, if you listen to the voice of the enemy and begin to start walking in that direction, that'll have some major implications spiritually in your life. It'll diminish what God has intended for you and the joy and the life and the abundance that he has uh, intended for you in the victory. So it's very, very important that we understand that. The Bible says that after David killed Goliath, he cut off his head. I like that. Goliath's already dead. He killed him. He's laying on the ground. He's dead. And then David said, now I'm going to cut off his head because he told him he's going to do that. So he grabs Goliath's sword because he didn't have a sword. So he's got, hope you don't mind if I borrow your sword here for a second. I guess you don't mind. You are dead. And then he cuts off his head. And I do hope it was just with one swoop. Okay. It was like... <laughs> we don't want to picture too much of that, do we? It's like, hey, man, it's just before lunch here. Okay, but he, but he cuts off his head, and then, I love this, he picked up Goliath's head. He picked it up. But he didn't do it so he could show his brothers, hey, look what I did, man. He, he, he wasn't doing that. He picked it up to show it to the Philistine army. Hey, you guys. That's your boy. He'd been talking smack to us for 40 days. Right there. That mouth, that mouth has been blaspheming and mocking God and taunting us day after day after day. But I sure don't hear anything coming out of there now. Right? And then King Saul sends for David. says, bring, bring him into my tent here. And so David walks in. He's still carrying the head. <laughs> don't you love it? Like, what you got there? Oh, just head. Let me see that. And I imagine Saul just looked at that. There was that mouth that had terrified everybody all those days, intimidating him. But now it's silent. David spoke in the name of the Lord. And the giant stopped talking. Now the gist of all this is, and let me close up here, we need to bring our giants into the light, not so that we can see them ourselves and we can kill them, but so that we can proclaim to them a truth. You're defeated. You're dead in the name of Jesus. That's what we need to do. We pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And too often what we're doing is we're rationalizing with our giants, we argue with our giants, we shout at our giants, we talk to our friends about our giants, we read books about them, but we don't say to them what we ought to be saying is, hey, you may be in the room, you may be mouthing off to me about how big you are, but I'm going to start talking back to you right now, and I want to tell you, you're coming to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, and you're fierce, and yes, you're bigger than me, but guess what? I'm coming to you not in my own strength. I'm coming to you not in my own strategy. I'm coming to you in the name above all names, the name that's a beautiful name, the name that's a wonderful name, the name that's a powerful name, the name of Jesus, the Almighty God. That's how I stand before you today and he has won the victory giant I want you to know that I declare that to you today
It's not me trying to whip up something in my life. It's the understanding that Jesus has won the victory. And we stand in that and we rejoice in that. Yeah, well, dude, let's, let's go for it. And I'm going to keep saying that name, the name of Jesus, over and over again, not so that the giants will get it. Because you know what the Bible says? The demons understand it. They, they tremble. The problem is us. We don't believe it. We don't believe how powerful that is. So we need to speak that over and over. I need to wrap this up. So let's pray. Lord, I, I'm so thankful for our, our time together today. Thank you for Pastor Shane and just refresh him and family as, uh, as they're away from us today. I thank you for each one here. You care about every single one. You know where we're at. You know the stuff we're struggling with. You love us so deeply. We'd be so shocked to understand how much you love us. You care about every detail of our life. I pray you'd lift up the broken, hold them close to you. I pray for those, Lord, who are filled today just intimidated, paralyzed by giants in their own life, whatever that is, whatever it looks like. You know what it is. You've come with victory. You've attained it. And now we just need to walk in it today. We thank you for what you've done. We celebrate it today. Through our communion time and our worship time we're going to have here, we make that proclamation, Jesus paid it all. The work is done. We love you. We rejoice in you. And that we just live in the power of your victory in our lives. For it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.